Oh, Lord, help. I taint. American journalist H.L. Mencken said, Under democracy, one party always devotes its chief energies to trying to prove that the other party is unfit to rule. And both commonly succeed and are right. Mm-hmm. Man, is nothing more truer than that today. That's a good quote. Yeah, that's true. So welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my lovely and talented wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're thankful you guys are here. And this is a show where every week we do our best to help Christians sort of navigate this secular and um, seemingly wicked world and figure out how we can walk closely to Christ um, through the midst of it all. That's how we try to frame the show, try to digest what's going on in the world around us with a Christian perspective, um, which is always risky when nobody wants to agree on what Christian actually means. So Mm -hmm. um, today we're going to be discussing, of course, the news of the week. That's what we'll get into first, as always. But then mainly we're going to be looking at Part two of what today's Christianity calls religion, uh, reimagining biblical womanhood. Um, they had a conference on that, and this is actually pretty enjoyable for us. We talked about their this is, like I said, part two of their conference. Part one came out in like March, and we actually, as frustrating as it was, it was fun to sort of dive into that conference. Um, you know, mm-hmm. see what we thought was right and wrong. And well, we kind of knew what to expect this time around that it would be confirming. <laughs> yeah, what we and I mean, you should understand that too, right? Whenever you read something that says reimagining anything biblical, Christianity you should automatically it have is a vain imagination. That's what it is. And then Christianity today is just that's what the name means. It's um. Uh, what does Christianity mean today? And that's the kind of people they have on their program. Yep. It's redefining Christianity, reimagining. And I will call it today's Christianity as best I can. That's how I like to reference them. We've mentioned it plenty of times before. They're a pretty, in our opinion, pretty progressive Christian outlet. Um, yeah. This is the stuff they like to promote. They seem to be pretty heavy into like the race, uh, racial, you know, identity racial Christianity deal. Um, So we're going to dive into this again. It was enjoyable, though frustrating this time as well. But before we get to the news and the conference and all of that, is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, just I know I brought up my uncle, how he just got out of prison and he's just um, just having a hard time, just just kind of waiting on things to come through, you know, social security and just help financially until he gets um, a job and gets on his feet. So I think that's just something been in prison a while. You have to just start, start over. And, um, and we have family helping out, but just pray for the family too. Cause while it's a blessing to be reunited, there's, you know, other just things that come up that you maybe didn't expect, but yeah, just pray for just the peace in our family throughout this time too. Yeah, it's hard um, getting out. You know, I've been going to the jail ministry and we deal with guys that get out of jail after two months and their worlds are like upside down. They don't know what they're doing. 
imagine what it's like getting out of 13 years and like mm-hmm. everything, you know, I, I don't even know how you get restarted. Um, so pray for them. Uh, I have a praise report. So this last Monday, I've been, you know, telling you guys, I've been doing the jail ministry in this last Monday. Normally I go with another guy from the church. His name is Scott. And he typically leads the Bible study by and large. And I'll, I kind of open the Bible study and do some Psalms and Proverbs. Well, he was gone on Monday. So this was my first time doing the full Bible study by myself, full two hours. Um, And I didn't get the word until really that day on Monday. So I had to sit down and kind of come up with two hours worth of stuff to talk about. (laughs) And, you know, Scott, he's very good. He does sort of um, exposits on the scripture. So he's just been going through John, you know, verse by verse and very slow. You know, it's amazing when you see someone that can preach on two verses for two hours. Um, And that's what he does. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough or skilled enough yet. So I kind of did the proverb and the psalm and it went really good. And then I decided to use sort of gay pride month as a jumping off point to touch on or touch and talk about the sin of pride um, with these guys. And it went over well. Nobody got super upset with me. I even threw in some talk about abortion, um, which could be a touchy subject. And they all rolled with it. They said they enjoyed it and got something out of it when it was all done. So that was pretty cool. And then, uh, oh, I guess I'll mention when I was leaving there, I, there was a guy who had just gotten out of jail and he had mentioned to me that he had, you know, some back issues, obviously family issues. I gave him a ride back from the jail to his house and his name is Quintavious. So if you got a few extra minutes, just pray that somehow God would reach Quintavious and I don't know, turn his soul and heal his body. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then as always, I do want to highlight Cardinal Contingency Solutions. They will be linked in the show notes as always. I highly recommend you go give them a look, reach out to them, email, um, you know, in light of some of the things we're going to talk about today and just about how, you know, normal, just normal life exploiters, you know, how they can use language sort of gain advantage over you. Um, I think it's important to prepare for that, train for that. And I think reaching out to Cardinal, um, learning, letting them teach you on how to message properly um, in this technological war zone that we live in, I think is really important. You know, they, they are experts in this. They'll give you the tools that you need to sort of stay on message, not get sidetracked, not get drug into the mud with the exploiters and, um, you know, get your point across in the way you want to get it across. So very important. They can help you out for sure. And then lastly, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community, of course, and they will actually be our sermon recommendation, um, for this week. And it'll be coming from the theology throwdown, um, podcast here, which is a cool podcast. Um, Andrew Rappaport hosts it once a month. So on the first Monday of every month, he hosts it. And all the people that join in, it's open to every podcaster on the Christian podcast community, though we have never actually made it. Mm-hmm. Um, we enjoy watching them and um, maybe someday we'll get there. But this week, they were talking about do babies go to heaven? So they were just having 
sort of an open discussion between, I think, five or six podcasters that some are pastors, some are, you know, just interested Christians mm -hmm. and just going back and forth on that. So it was really good. If that's a question you have, um, or you just want more arguments in your tool chest, I guess, then that's a good mm -hmm. podcast I think to a listen lot of to. People just um, have always just assumed, but then there's the people who argue, you know, against that, like that it's, you know, it goes in with the doctrine of election. So right. that's where he's coming from. And yeah. that's why it's good to listen to because your argument should never just be, well, I feel like it should be. Right. That can't be a good argument. It needs to be grounded in scripture. Because um, if your argument is that it just feels right, well, maybe you'll be on part three of Christianity Today's yeah. Reimagining Biblical Womanhood Conference, because that's a lot of what <laughs> they teach. So yeah. you so, don't want to yeah. be that. Just that question alone, though, brings up a lot of other, um, just a lot of other things about God and his character, too. There's a lot mixed in with that. So I didn't want to leave just that question hanging like that, like, why would you have... Why, why would someone ask that? <laughs> no, I mean, it's an important question. I mean, sadly, and, uh, you know, people are still losing their children at a young age. People are still having abortions, all these things, and they're right. questions that people Especially ask. Especially in light of abortions. So yeah. it's good to have, you know, some answers to that. So, all right, we'll do this properly. Prepare yourself. We get ready to wade into the murky swamp. Take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death as we take a look at the news of the week. <laughs> and uh, really the one big story uh, that really came out this week was uh, what I like to call sort of the first episode in television's newest hit drama. That is uh, the first hearing in the January 6th committee, um, whatever they're calling that thing. So there you go. The January 6th committee holds its first primetime hearing. Uh, I don't know what their ratings were. Hopefully they were terrible. Um, so Nikki is smarter and wiser and better than me. So she didn't watch any of this because what would have been the point? I, however, I do this because I love you guys. So I watched it and <laughs> it was painstaking. And I'll be honest, I started out watching it and had my phone out, was taking some notes about 10 to 15 minutes in, just got tired of it, put my phone down and just sort of, I will be honest, I wasn't giving it hundred percent attention. It was probably about 40% attention, but it was on, it was droning into my ears. So I did listen to it. And then I just made some overall points that I took away from the whole thing. So I don't have any really notes to bring out like oh well on this time they said this i don't have any of that just my overall thoughts from it they're going to be having more of these hearings i guess the next one is june 13th i doubt i'll watch that one we'll see but um so nikki isn't going to have much to say here i'm just going to try to get through my couple points before we move on to a more important story in my opinion so the first point that i took from this was Adam Schiff is on the committee. And if you're unfamiliar with Adam Schiff, he, in my opinion, was sort of like the chief liar for the Russia collusion hoax that they basically um, saddled Donald Trump's entire presidency with. And whatever you feel about Trump one way or the other, that was a proven hoax that they knew about. 
and he promoted that live for almost four years. So when I see Adam Schiff sitting in like an honorable position on a committee, it just sullies the whole thing for me. I can't take the man serious. Um, to me, he is one of the most detestable men in Washington. So to see him sitting on that, you know, panel instantly, I was like, ugh, all right. I didn't know he was on the panel, but there you go. Uh, the next point, if you see this photo here, if you're watching, but this fellow right here by the name of Benny Thompson, he was the committee chairman, a congressman from Mississippi, I believe. And, you know, they opened the night and he was reading from a teleprompter. No big deal with that. I would be reading from a teleprompter too if I was there. But like immediately, like almost the first sentence out of his mouth, he took it like straight to racism and slavery almost. Like immediately out of the gate. And again, much like seeing Adam Schiff's face, hearing racism and slavery just attached to everything under the sun really just sucks the wind out of my sails as far as I'm concerned, like giving a crap. Because you're like, okay, well, now we know where this is going and I just don't really want to hear it. And then I didn't take this note down, but I'm scrolling through Twitter afterwards and, you know, today's Christianity, uh, their favorite like race baiting theologian, Jamar Tisby. Uh, I saw him on there and he was like, let's not overlook the momentous, you know, moment of having a black man leading this prime time here or something to that effect. And I was like, you know, we've had a black president, right? <laughs> like, does that not take the cake? Or is it just the case that like anytime a black person does anything, you have to go, let's not overlook the fact that that black man took money out of an ATM. And let's not forget that a hundred years ago, he couldn't take money. Like, is everything a momentous occurrence? Like, nobody else in America besides a race baiter saw a black man mm -hmm. leading a committee and went, oh my, how did they let that happen? <laughs> they were just like, oh, okay, well, he's in charge, I guess. It's crazy. But yeah, racism and slavery. And then Jamar Tisby was right there to clean it up. So uh, the next point that I have here just in my mind, I know it's never going to happen, but my thought was, boy, you know, I wonder if they're going to hold committee hearings on the 2020 BLM riots that, you know, destroyed federal buildings, burned businesses, harassed and injured cops, killed people. Of course they won't, right? That's just been swept under the rug. But wouldn't we like to know who was involved, who was sort of stoking all that anger and aggression? We remember the congressmen that were promoting that. We would like to see maybe them get to the bottom of that a little bit. But of course they won't. That's swept under the rug. So just a thought, you know. Uh, the next point, they kept mentioning the word coup and insurrection over and over and over again. And this is sort of conditioning you, right? They're teaching you um, to understand this is a very dangerous, violent, on the brink of government overthrow. That's why they keep using the word, right? And call it what you will, it's just hard for me to uh, accept that there was a, a very legitimate coup or insurrection to overthrow mm -hmm. the most powerful government on the planet when there were no weapons involved. I mean, right. they had, you know, some tear gas they showed, I think. They had 
you know, a, a pole and a bat and stuff like that, but no weapons, right? So how are you going to overthrow the government when you don't have any weapons? Find that a little bit, you know, a bit of a stretch, but that's, it is what it is. They're trying to steer a narrative. So I get it. But then my fifth point here um, was just, will these congressmen at any point, maybe even after they're retired, who knows, but will they look in the mirror and own up to the fact that those very members of Congress who are now sitting up there with their righteous indignation, um, will they recognize that they're the ones who drove America to this point of feeling that they need to rise up? Like Americans don't just rise up and go stomp into the Capitol building for no reason. And these very congressmen, the Adam Schiff's of the world, and these members sitting on the panels, and all of our members of Congress and the House and the Senate, all of them are guilty of driving this hatred and anger into the American people that's making us like seethe with rage all the time. They do it purposefully. It's intended to do this. But then when it spills over and it actually affects them, it touches them, oh man, right. now it's gone too far. Because again, none of these politicians were saying any of this about the 2020 BLM riots because you can burn somebody else's city to the ground. They don't care. If it gets them an extra couple of votes in the election, what do they care? But when you touch their stuff, oh man, like people are going away for life, right? They're getting thrown. They're getting thrown in prison, losing everything because you touched them. So uh, it's shameful. I hope, I pray to God that they will have some inward reflection here. Um, but it's unlikely. They're largely Satan's children, in my opinion. So why would they look at themselves? Mm -hmm. um, and then the last point here, I do feel, you know, some remorse for the Capitol Police. You know, they're definitely put in a very difficult position. You're in one sense having to defend the very people that are probably ultimately responsible for this um, riot, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you're getting in fights with the American people. Uh, it's a really bad spot. And listen, you know, on religionless Christianity, we're fans of cops, you know, where they do right, by and large, we support them where they do wrong. We realize those are outliers. Um, mm -hmm. We support cops, they were put in an awful spot. And from one of the members or one of the women that testified, she got pretty hurt. And that's, that's awful. You know, I hope she heals up. Uh, we don't want to see our cops get hurt. They're put in a bad spot there. So pray for the Capitol Police. Um, but yeah, that's all really, I lost interest pretty quick, which sounds like what most people did. So I saw this article here from, of course, let me see if I can get it pulled back up. Yeah. Here from Frank Luntz. So if you guys are familiar with or unfamiliar with Frank Luntz, he's sort of a political pollster. You know, he just does a lot of polling and stuff like that on stuff. He does a lot of it while it's sort of, um, real time while it's going on. So he was running a poll on the Jan 6 committee hearings. And he says down here, it took nine minutes for the hearing to show something other. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, something other than a politician delivering a teleprompter speech. That's too long. I have 10 students watching with me and they aren't watching anymore. They're more interested in talking to each other than watching mm -hmm. uh, the screen. And that's exactly how I felt. 10 to 15 minutes in, I was like, 
all right, I've had my fill of this. I know what to expect. And it didn't disappoint for the rest of the, I don't know what it was, two hours or something. Really long, really boring. So I feel like they all felt, I guess. When were you watching? You didn't watch the whole thing? It didn't start until 8 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So it's like 7 to 9 o'clock our time. Um, Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Lost interest pretty quick. So do you have any thoughts on the Jan 6 committee hearings? No, let's move on. All right. So the next story here is uh, kind of going to be our deadly sin of the week, and that is the sin of lust. So this story here, I'm sure you guys have heard about it, but we just want to speak on it for a few minutes. So if you want to just read that first headline, honey, or the, the title and the headline. Uh, it says, Dallas Gay Bar's Drag Show for Kids, Obscene Sign Draws Angry Protests. This Dallas Gay Bar is under fire for hosting an afternoon drag show for children Saturday where kids were invited on stage and tipped performers in front of a neon sign bearing an obscene uh, message. Yep. Wow. So, uh, you know, the LGBTQ movement in celebration of uh, the Gosh. month our nation celebrates sin and debauchery. I thought kids weren't even allowed in bars to begin with. They are when they're being groomed. Um, there is no border. There's no bounds when you're trying to groom well, children. How old to were these kids? Does it say in the rest of the article, like the ages of them? I don't think it matters. They were children. So they were. I mean, are any of them old enough to be like, this is weird or. No, I mean. Notice. Yes. Speak up. No, they were old enough. And, um, and that's the <sighs> problem with this because. We get these glimpses from time to time to see what the agenda of the satanic left really is. And the problem is we just refuse to see it. Most of Christianity in America will refuse to see this. Um, They'll still pretend like being gay is a choice. God is love. Who are you to judge? Um, Well, they say, well, well, I was born this way. This is the way God made me. But um, I know we've said it before, like we're all born into sin. That's why you need to be born again. And for those of us that aren't born into this specific sin, they're going to do their best to drag you into this sin. That's what grooming is about. Mm -hmm. And the end goal, well, not the end goal. We don't know what the end goal is. But the next step on the path for this movement, the LGBTQ, is pedophilia. I think we all sort of see that. And if you've watched um, Matt Walsh's documentary on what is a woman, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it already. But the thing is, is these pro-LGBTQ activists, um, there is, they have no reason that they could argue why pedophilia would be wrong. Well, their arguments work for pedophilia and for those relationships to whatever you want to call a relationship. But this is the same argument. It can be applied to them too. And that's what's scary. Yeah, because if you're the type of person like those crazy psychiatrists in that show that say, well, whenever a kid decides they're ready to transition, they're ready. Well, then you can't also go, well, whenever they're ready to have sex with an adult, well, then they're ready. You can't say, well, no, no, that's a, that's a bridge too far. Okay, but them cutting their breasts and their testicles off isn't a bridge too far. That is child abuse. Of course abuse. it is. So, Ugh. yeah, it's, that is... 
a logical next step on this path here and they will have no argument against it. And why would they, they support it. Right. Um, what they say was like $75,000 for a kid to have that surgery. Transgender. Yeah. Like, I think they said ultimately it was like 1.3 million over the lifetime of, of a kid fully transitioning. Mm-hmm. All the medication they have to be so on the rest of their business. life. Um, yeah. They see dollar signs. They don't see a kid. No, they well, don't care. Again, they're satanic. So, they don't really care about anything, right? Um, but the thing is, this is just more evidence, another, you know, glaring example that pedophilia is coming to our country. Uh, I think unless we stand up and push back. But the problem is I fear too many, you know, especially those that would claim to be Christians, they would much prefer to just sit in their house, wringing their hands, crying out to God. All I'll just say, I'm not judging them. The Bible says don't judge. Oh, really? Yeah, they'll just wring their hands or they'll just pretend like, no, this is part of Christianity now. They would rather do that than actually stand up and fight back, um, which is why we're in this place. Because I, will ar- I would argue that those Christians, they're more of a problem in this country than the atheists, than the satanic. We know they're evil, but the problem with just weak-willed, mm-hmm. do-nothing Christians... Um, you just allow all of this to go on. We, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to fight a war and we're undermanned and you should be on our side, but instead you just rather play Sweden and do nothing. Um, so it's a shame. It's dangerous. We need to stand up and fight. Um, we need to speak out about it. We need to make people yeah. aware of it. And like you said, it is child abuse mm-hmm. um, in a sense. but. Yeah, it's sad. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any it's last thoughts sad. before we roll on to the next story? Just like, what can you do? Like, besides speaking out on your own platform? Well, I think the country, and who knows, right? It does seem like we're gaining some headway here, you know, because a lot of times this stuff is accepted when it's not really in your face. Right. You're like, ah, don't judge people. Let them live their life. But then once you show it to them, like the Matt Walsh documentary and you go, holy cow, these people, you know, like if a kid is 10 years old and says he wants to transgender or transition, we have medical professionals that are like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Are you insane? So I think once you show it to people, not everybody's going to come out of it. Um, But for those that are willing to, I think. It is start, starting to wake them up a little bit. We've seen this, you know, starting to be pushed back in the schools a little bit with, you know, some of the CRT and the mm-hmm. over-sexualization of kids are pushing back a little bit, not enough, but it's getting there. So, I mean, hopefully as we just keep continuing to pound this into people's head that this is out there, they're coming for your kids. Disney wants to groom your kids. The LGBTQ movement wants to legalize pedophilia. If you keep telling them that, hopefully enough of them will come out because it doesn't take the majority. We don't need 51% of the country to jump on board with this. You need 15, 20% of the country that's really willing to fight Mm -hmm. because the LGBTQ movement, I mean, at one time there was like one to 2% at most of the country. These people need to get locked up. Like everybody that was there, this drag show, all the adults in there participating in it. In the sane world, they would. You'd be like, hey, you took your child to a strip club? 
and you let them get on stage with a drag queen and put money in their G-string, that's not okay. But instead... Was it the kids' money? Their own money? that, Like their uh, chore money? I can money? only hope so. <laughs> you could either tithe it to God or stick in a transvestite's G-string. Gosh, it's disgusting. We know which way America would choose. All right, so the next <sighs> story that we have here um, comes again from today's Christianity. And this one, if you want <laughs> to read the sticks. headline... Today's Christianity. Ugh. It says, white churches, it's time to go pro-life on guns. Yeah, time to go pro-life on guns. Do you want to read this paragraph right here? It says, I'm not the first black pastor to appeal to the white Christian majority to shake off their malaise and address pressing issues of justice. Martin Luther King Jr. made a similar appeal in 1963 from another unlikely place a Birmingham jail. The issues are different, but the admonition is the same. There must be some white Christians of goodwill who sense that something is terribly wrong with gun violence among the children in our nation. Yep. Um, I disagree. Uh, I disagree that there is something wrong with gun violence among our children. I think there is something wrong with our children. And what I believe is wrong with their children is their parents. I think many parents uh, or many children today uh, aren't wanted, so they aren't raised, I think, unfortunately. And I think even for the ones mm-hmm. that if they're kept, I think a lot of those children today grow up in homes that aren't grounded or rooted in the truth. Um, mm-hmm. There's no religion. There's no family. Right. There's no structure. You know, we've talked a lot in this show that parents and people in general are losing their faith in God and you know, therefore, they can't really impart any right. sort of real value on their children. Mm-hmm. And then, like that last story, you know, we see kids today that are really just accessories for their parents. Um, that LGBTQ movement, these parents took their kids yeah. to a strip bar to watch transvestites dance on stage. That's not for the kid. That's for the parent. That's an accessory for the parent to say, look at how you know, progressive I am. I brought my kid here. This yeah. kid is just an extension of how These poor kids, you know, how intelligent and how progressive I am as a parent. So um, them abusing their kids is just another accessory to them to make their friends impressed. If you got, you know, I got a pearl necklace. Really? I took my kid to a gay bar and watched transvestite strip. And they're like, oh, you win. That's way cooler than what I did, you know. So they're saddling these kids again with the lifetime of sexual immorality, it's potentially going to go in like eternity the family hell. photo album of childhood memories. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's crazy. So, you know, I think their kids' mental health gets exploited to make the parents feel more important, and that's if the kids Sick. are kept and wanted at all, right? But so many of these kids, especially in the inner cities, and in this article, he talks about. Chicago is his big example. Well, I mean, a lot of these kids are growing up in homes where they really aren't wanted. They weren't really expected. The parents aren't together. It's a single parent household. Um, They're able to just sort of do what they want. There's no real structure or family unit. That's so you can blame it on guns. But again, that's a simplistic, you know, understanding. Mm -hmm. 
if you don't fix the family structure, which you can't while you're subsequently voting for the very people and instituting the very policies that are destroying your family, and then you're leaving church, so you have no ground, like, you can't fix that by getting rid of a gun. That's such a stupid argument. It's just like when you're disciplining a kid and they use something to hit another kid. You don't just take that thing away and the kid never does wrong again. No, you whoop your kid. You make them know that behavior is unacceptable. Hurting others is unacceptable. Yeah. Like I know we just go in that way. It's not about gun violence. It's just about the root of violence. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes on in this article right here. He says, uh, he goes on to basically make the point down here that um, the black clergy were sort of coerced or strong-armed into um, supporting the white moral majority of pastors and stuff and leaders in the country on issues that they say, you know, that moral majority supported. Um, mm which were things like um, abortion, uh, what is he saying here? Abortion, adoption, pornography, and the war on drugs. Um, so, you know, in his mind, we supported you 30 years ago on these issues. Now it's your turn to support black inner city pastors on what they support. And again, I don't agree with him there because... Mm. If what he's saying is true is 30 years ago, you guys asked us to come and support you on ending abortion, bolstering adoption. Um, you know, what else does he say? The pornography, war on drugs. Um, but now in turn, you have to come and support us on uh, pro-life, what he's calling it, gun legislation. And my problem is that like anti-abortion laws are in line with our God-given constitutional rights. Um, and not just to mention our God, right? Anti-abortion mm -hmm. laws are in line with God and our God-given constitutional rights. Um, whereas restricting or removing our right to bear arms is anti-constitutional. So you're saying, hey, 30 years ago, you asked us to come and support constitutional rights, God-given rights. Now I want you to come and support us ending those rights. That makes sense. That's not fair, right? And that's why I don't agree with it. Um, because the thing is, this isn't, godly Abraham Lincoln in office who's suspending our habeas corpus rights, you know, during the civil war, this is antichrist power hungry globalist leaders that are seeking to remove our right to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is not the same thing. Um, so this is a fascinating article. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I strongly disagree with the guy. Um, his name is, Charlie Dates, it's worth noting, he's also the pastor of Chicago's Progressive Baptist Church. So that's something. Uh, says a lot about, <laughs> I guess, where they stand. So I'd like to know what you guys think about this. Because my big problem with, they're not going to stop. You know, he mentions in here, um, you know, like universal background checks for guns. That's in no way going to affect anything. And it's not going to stop them from trying to press further to remove guns. So it's really just, you know, opening the crack of that door. You know, it's like trying to say in the abortion argument, you know, well, we need to have 
for rape, incest, and life of the mother, and then that just somehow turns into abortions up until, you know, two minutes after birth, right? Like, it just doesn't stop there. Everything so, just gets worse and worse, right? The line gets moved. Yeah, because their goal the is they want your guns. Mm-hmm. They're going to try mm-hmm. and take your gun. So this may be a baby step down that road. Right. And you can't give them any We have ground. to know. We have to learn not to give them anything because we see where it ends up. Yeah. And every issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just, it doesn't, to me, it's not a logical argument to be like, Mm-mm. hey, yesterday when, uh, you know, you asked for some money to get some lunch and I gave you that money. Now I would like money for crack. So give me that money. And you're right. like, no, that's not the same thing. <laughs> I'm not giving I'm you drugs. Too. Like, I'll buy uh-huh. you lunch, but I'm not giving you drugs. So um, interesting. I'd like to know what you guys think about that. So there was a lot more in the news. None of it really interests me. So we're just going to try to move on because there's a lot to get into in this biblical womanhood conference. Reimagining. Yeah. So we're just going to move on into this conference here. So uh, again, this is going to be our Bible topic today, Christianity or today's Christianity in their part two conference on reimagining biblical womanhood. And I do think that these are important. you know, as to uh, what today's Christianity sort of values and promotes on their platform, I think it's important because um, I think the country and Christendom at large, um, this is what they get fed. You know, mm-hmm. this is what they're going to hear. And these are the platforms that they are seeing. And this is the sort of stuff that they're promoting to those people. So it's important to be aware of it, to know what's happening out there so that we know how to address this stuff because it's not just you know, it, it's not like a tree that falls in the forest, right? Like people are hearing this and this is what's being taught. Yeah. And then, you know, this is what's going into like the next round of Caleb music. And then this is what's <laughs> going on, you know, in the Joel Osteen sermons and stuff. So it's important that this gets discussed because you're probably going to hear it if you haven't already heard these things. I mean, there's not nothing here that's terribly revolutionary, but it's still out there, it's still being promoted and talked mm-hmm. about. So it's important for us as Christians to know what they're talking about. And to steer people away from them. Yeah. yeah. Or at least if you're unsure when you hear something, you go, I don't know what that means, but I don't agree with it right away. Let me go and start looking into this a little bit. Because um, they do some of that in this conference, at least for me. Mm-hmm. So, Like any name that these panelists bring up, you want to be like, looking into who that is because that's who they're learning from and you find out they have a really wicked agenda too (laughs) yeah no definitely i mean that's how we learned of at all about union theological seminary you know i didn't know what that seminary was until we started you know this podcast and start looking at what these people are talking about and you're like oh man like i might have seen somebody that was like oh i'm going i got my doctorate from union theological seminary and you're like oh that's a real learned man and then you realize like, oh, no, he's a radical. Like, I don't want anything to do with that guy, right? So it's mm-hmm. important to know. Yeah. Um, and it's the same group of women that they had in their first conference. So um, today's Christianity does go on to say about the conference, they say, following the tremendous response to the first reimagining biblical womanhood. Um, let me see if I can follow it or find it here. Um, following the great response or the tremendous response to the first reimagining biblical womanhood um, webinar in March and the audience requests for more, 
Today's Christianity recently reconvened the panelists for a continuation of their conversation about women's journey in the church. Yeah, it's not very thrilling. Maybe some people were thrilled, but it... Apparently yeah. a lot of people were thrilled. We were not, other than another chance to look at what these people are talking about and uh, share it with you guys. So that was cool, but <laughs> not thrilled as far as this conference being put on. So um, we're not going to go back and recover who the women are on these panels. If you are interested in that, we did that in our first episode. I'll have it linked in mm -hmm. the show notes. Um, there might be a card up here somewhere. If I can remember to put it in, you can find that. And I encourage you to, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that because there may be some things that they talked about that have some overlap between this episode and last, and we're not going to be able to get into all the things that they um, brought up here that we really wanted to talk about because we were putting these notes together and it was like 11 pages of notes and we're like, okay, well, we can't obviously do that. So yeah, there is, there's probably more left out of this that we wanted to talk about and don't have time to get into than we actually get into. So I encourage you yeah. to go read it, go listen to part one, and then please let us know again, as always, we aren't pastors, theologians, apologists, we're just Christians and do the best we can to adhere to scripture as best we can. So if we're wrong on something, we want to know about it. We don't promise to agree with you, but we at least want to have that discussion. So Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything on this in general before we dive into the, the conference? No, we'll just get in. Okay. I will make note just before we kind of go into it. Um, today's Christianity, they do this a lot. They use the term sage or mm -hmm. sages when referencing to sort of the people that they're putting on their platform. They did this during the rise of mm -hmm. rise and fall of Mars Hill. They talked about sages. And now they're doing it again with this conference. They talk about learning from the sages. And, you know, it's just it's a weird word to use here. Mm -hmm. To me, I always had that sort of connotation of it like a pagan type wisdom when you're talking about a sage, um, which I don't know is right. I'd like to know what you guys think about using that word a lot, because the definition is just, you know, um, one distinguished for wisdom or mature or venerable person of sound judgment. So. It might be the right word. It's a weird context to hear it in, I think. So again, like to know what you guys think. That just jumped out to me because they've mentioned it in multiple I places. I don't think they have sound judgment. Well, that's most certainly right. They aren't <laughs> sages, but um, just using the term is weird. So um, yeah, if you want to take the first question that you brought up, the first point that you had yeah. here. Yeah, well, they, the first question... Um, that's uh, that they asked the panelists is what is God teaching you in your calling as Christian female leaders? And Amanda starts off by saying, uh, yeah, when I first went into ministry, I felt a strong call to preach and teach the gospel. And along the way, I felt like I was encountering all these roadblocks. So I got diverted from that original call to sort of attend to issues around gender and trying to address why women can be in ministry and address issues of sexism that I was encountering. And I think one of the things I've been learning is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is God called me to teach and preach the gospel. And if I find myself so diverted from that original call, 
then I need to sort of assess, am I in the right space? Am I finding myself focusing on the right things? Because I never felt a call to sort of advance women's issues. It was more, I felt a call to serve the church. So just to keep that in mind, and when I do encounter those discouraging moments where you encounter sexism or roadblocks to either let them sort of just not get you down. And I just want to say like everything she just said is like, all you panelists, take this advice. All you people listening, take this advice. This is exactly what needs to be said about this whole conference here. Because all these girls have done this. We are all called to preach the gospel. That's the main call. And this stuff, this sexism and all these other issues they're bringing up are what you would call a roadblock. And you are off track. So just the whole point of this conference it itself is a roadblock to distract yeah. everybody else from the gospel. And I'm like, it's just so funny that she starts off saying that, but then everybody's off the gospel and we're over here now and making this the gospel. Yeah, it's weird to be like, you know, all of these things of, first off, you know, pointing out that it's like sexism. Is this the one where they talk about misogyny? They do remember. a little, yeah, yeah, it's brought up. You know, they talk about misogyny, which is, like the hatred of women. So like you're throwing your church compatriots under the bus as being people who hate women. Yeah. Sexist towards women. But then you're like, listen, all of this stuff is roadblocks that we just got to move past. And then Christianity or today's Christianity is like, hey, do you want to come and spend like the weekend focused only on your roadblocks? And she's like, absolutely. <laughs> like, okay, well, I thought you we were trying to move past that. So a part that stuck out to me that I thought was funny because she does say in here, she goes, I never felt a call to sort of advance women's issues. That's one thing she specifically says. And then we mentioned in part one that Joyce, the moderator, is really like the one who's, at least in the first one, she was poking them hard to like lean into your victimhood. Yeah. yeah. So Amanda makes this point. I never felt called to advance women's issues. And then Joyce's response to this, she goes, and sometimes when you're advancing women addressing the obstacles like she was about yeah, to go changed. into like yeah you know when you're advancing women's issues and she like in her mind remembered like oh no, no amanda's not trying to uh addressing obstacles like <laughs> uh, it was funny like i'm not here to advance women's issues she's like yeah you know so when you're advancing women's issues and like i don't what are you talking about i don't i noticed yeah very weird yeah. but joyce she's still joyce so but she says when you're doing that you are advancing the gospel though no, she just said that was a roadblock. Roadblocks don't advance the gospel. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, very weird. Uh, but on that same first question, Kat, um, Lord love Kat, uh, she answered that question again. So it was, what is something God has been teaching you right now? And her response was, so in the second book, I'm looking at different scripture and different Bible verses and seeking wisdom in places that maybe these verses haven't been really excavated much. Or I want to look at wisdom in our dreams, or wisdom in the stars. As we read the story of Jesus, the star was a huge part of his birth story. So I'm looking at these verses and these places in the Bible where traditionally haven't been studied. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of new age garbage. Um, like looking to the stars to understand the word. Like, aren't we supposed to use scripture to interpret scripture? Uh, yeah. And then just this idea of um, 
seeking wisdom and looking at verses in a new way that they mm-hmm. traditionally haven't been um, looked at before. Mm-hmm. You know, like this to me sounds like I'm looking to make scripture fit into this new culture we find ourselves in rather than making my culture fit into the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So again, remember, this conference is called Reimagining Biblical Womanhood. Um, so it's not understanding biblical womanhood. It's come up with a new idea. Yeah. And Kat is the ringleader here of being like, oh, I like to look for new ways. She's the ringleader, but she's got like the least, you know, qualifications or whatever. She's just someone who's written for others and just has published her first book. Like she doesn't yeah. have much under her belt. No. And you, you know, you can say what you want about female pastors and ministers and all. And we talked about that in part one, but of all the women on this list, Kat is by far the least qualified. She has the most to say, like the most passionate. She's on an activist that has some Christianity in her background, where at least the other women, Nicole, she's a pastor minister. She sounds at least like she has a grasp on the word. Whereas Kat, yeah. She don't have that grasp. So, and I felt like um, she was kind of, she was probably embarrassing herself not knowing in front of these other ladies, although we don't agree with several of the things they said. I don't think she's embarrassed. These like left-wing ideologues and activists, they don't seem to be embarrassed when it's they embarrass themselves. Though. It's embarrassing for today's Christianity, but again, they agree with a lot of this. So the second part of her answer there to that question, she says, if we are seeking that out as women as allies, if we're looking for that wisdom, that liberation, that healing, we'll find it. And I was like, oh, okay, I know this. This is what we like to call progressive logic. Um, And it's pretty as easily as you can define it. Like, I don't think atheistic college professors, trans activists, I don't think they could define this better than what Kat does right here. Because traditional logic, that would tell you um, you know, you, you find an effect or you see an effect, and then you go back to figure out what caused that effect, like what causes led up to that effect, but mm-hmm. that's not what she's doing. And that isn't progressive logic. Um, this is, you believe a cause and then you just seek out effects that, um, that, uh, s- support your specific mm-hmm. cause yeah. basically. So here, like you want to find this new idea of biblical womanhood, that's something you believe in. So you're just going to pick and choose and find different things and go to new resources and look at verses different ways until it fits into what your Mm -hmm. idea of a biblical woman should be rather than, okay, what does the Bible say about biblical womanhood? Okay. Well, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. You know, so this is progressive logic. Um, You know, it's the same idea of like, I believe racism exists, you know, that white cop killed a black guy, racism. It's just that simple, right? A business owner didn't let me into a business. It's because I'm black. That's racism. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is what she's doing, basically. Um, I have a certain set of beliefs, and that sounds like they're influenced by this sort of what I would call secular, satanic sort of culture that we're in. And I'm going to find scripture. I'm going to read it in a new light, and it's going to support my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Even if these scriptures have never been used this way in the past. Um, and Christianity has been around for 2000 years. We've looked at the Bible a lot of different ways. Um, so you're still trying to find a new way to look at it. And then what makes this even worse is 
not a single member of this panel corrects her or challenges her. Like I bet they're not allowed to do that. They probably have to like. Well, again, this is not iron sharpening iron here. No. This is affirmation Christianity. And it's super yes. dangerous because you have someone leading like this on a panel for the world to see in today's Christianity and women that other girls might look up to. And they're like, yeah, you know, like there's some un, you know, undiscovered wisdom that we just got to find. And I think it's super dangerous. Yeah. I know because she talks about about all this, what like fueled her to write her like research paper. Like she had a passion first about something and it angered her. So she was fueled by anger. She wasn't led by the spirit of God to write her paper. She was led by anger. And she went into scripture doing eisegesis, reading her opinion. Um, just her anger, just prodding her along, not the spirit of God, reading it all into the text. And she pretty much spells it out. That's what she did. She's like, I read this into the text. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, she makes <laughs> her point pretty clear. And that's what's scary is nobody corrects her. And we get this a lot in jail ministry. I tell it to Nikki when I come home, you know, we'll be talking about stuff, sharing stuff in the gospel. And, you know, these guys in jail, they come from all different walks of life. You know, they've lived hard lives, craziness and stuff like that. So they'll occasionally try to chime in with something, but they'll say something that's a bit off the wall. And you'll have to stop in that moment what you're teaching and try to like steer them back um, and not just let it go. Because you could very easily be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. So anyways, we're talking about pride. But if you're there for iron sharpening iron, you stop and you go, wait, hold on. Like, what are you talking about here? So that's what these women should have done is like, wait, let me just ask Kat a follow up, right? Like, so you're talking about reading your own feelings in the scripture. That's dangerous. Now, if you see something and you know, you can justify it, like, but they don't do mm -hmm. any of that. They're just like, wow, congrats. Yeah. You found a new meaning for that. That's fun. Anywho, and like they just move on, like really dangerous. Well, that's the thing with iron sharpening iron. They're not iron. They there's they can't sharpen anyone. So why why try? Why speak up? Yeah, and they certainly don't. They just kind of let it slide. So I think for all of us, a point that we should see on that is, you know, you can't let scripture slide. Again, you may be wrong ultimately, and they may be right, but at least to be like, hey man, I don't agree with that. Can you explain to me how you came to that rationale? or where you're getting that from, let's talk about mm -hmm. it. Um, but there's none of that. It's just pat on the back, reaffirm her, and move along. So. Yeah. So the questions that, they're, that Joyce is reading are like questions from people that, from the public, people have sent in. So um, she would say the name of them, but it doesn't matter. You guys can read it. Um, so Joyce asks the next question. Um, it says, how can we promote unity in supporting and encouraging each other? So. Yeah, and I didn't have a lot of problem with most of the women's answers here. But I think mm -hmm. we both sort of thought Amanda's answer on this was a bit sketchy. Yeah. So it says, I remember when I was in grad school and I did my dissertation on the story of Hagar and Sarah in Genesis 16 and 21. Here you have in the Bible two women who are in a position where they could have supported each other, and yet they didn't. Jealousy and classism and racism and emotional pain and circumstances kind of put them at odds with each other instead of bringing them together. It's interesting if you read through the history of interpretation on this story, interpreters want to figure out, well, who sinned in this story? 
where did this go wrong? And I remember reading John Calvin on this, and he says, well, everybody sinned. It's just a big mess story. Um, like everybody failed and gave way to sin. But then I read Phyllis Tribal on this story, and she is a female biblical scholar, and she actually takes a step back, and she says that actually it was patriarchy that put everybody in these positions where they felt they had to act in a certain way. And that was really helpful for me. <laughs> Sorry, I have to get into that. I have to read it the way I think. Like, yeah, she was we didn't it. listen to this. We <laughs> read the transcript. So, um, I'm yeah. doing like the voice, like as if I was reading a story with my kids, and I don't want to be all like monotone. I'm like, <laughs> but that's pretty funny, right? To think she's like, you know, if only that John Kelvin would have taken a step back for a second and really thought about his theology, I know, right? <laughs> oh, okay, like. You might not agree with it, but I'm pretty sure he was a thoughtful person. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, so very strange. And you know, But here again, right, we see Amanda. She looked into the story of Hagar and Sarah, and yeah. all the interpretations that she found didn't line up with her preconceived idea of patriarchy. That's what she assumed the story was. So she's reading into it, too. Yeah, Kelvin the same. didn't seem to agree with her, so she went looking elsewhere. She had to, ha- had to be a female. It makes sense, right? And this is that progressive logic, right? She has a belief in her mind and she's going to find different things that make sure that that belief is supported. So where does she land? She tells us Phyllis Tribal or Tribble. And who is this Phyllis Tribble? Uh, well, she's the author of such great works as God and the Rhetoric of Sexuality and the Literary Feminist Reading of Biblical Narratives. <laughs> But more importantly than all those, she is <laughs> Professor Emerita, Emerita of Sacred Literature at none other than the <laughs> Union Theological Seminary. We just talked about Union Theological Seminary, the nation's foremost social justice, queer-affirming, LGBTQ-affirming, so-called seminary. So this is the woman that she goes, Kelvin, you got it wrong. Phyllis Trivel. LGBTQ affirming uh, professor, she's spot on. Uh, So these are the women that are influencing these panelists. Today's Christianity gives these women a platform to share the process of sort of creating a religion in your own image to the world. Think how dangerous that is. Hey, you know what? You read Bible commentary in that stupid old, you know, Augustine and Wesley, if those guys don't do it That's for you, thing, just go like, find anybody and you make don't, it work. You don't even need to go and get someone else to help you interpret. Like we're all able, the Holy Spirit teaches us all things and you just have to pray. Right. But what you don't get is the Holy Spirit is patriarchy. Oh, you have to submit. God is patriarchy. Don't you understand? <laughs> No, it's like none bizarre. of these ladies say like, I asked this older lady in the church. I went to one of the elder ladies in the church and asked their opinion. It's no, I'm going outside my church to someone who doesn't know my name. And I'm going to see what they have to say. Like, are there no wise people in your church? Well, and they or are very you above well, them and you can't ask them? And they very well may have asked the people in their church. But again, she made it clear that she got a lot of interpretation but she kept looking until she found the one interpretation yeah. that lined up with what she already thought. 
So again, that's dangerous. You have beliefs that you're taking into scripture that rather than letting scripture form your belief system. And again, we all, there's a wide range, right? People Mm -hmm. have different views, but just to acknowledge that out loud, to walk in and be like, listen, before I even read the Bible, I already knew what I believed. So I just opened the Bible up and made it work with what I believe. Like, man, and nobody on this panel again goes, Phyllis Tribble, are you kidding me? Like a feminist, queer affirming, that's the woman you went to? Okay, like nobody said it. So very strange. Um, I know. Uh, Maybe afterwards they had a little discussion with each other. (laughs) No, I'm sure they all went and got boba teas and... uh, Complained about the patriarchy. Don't make fun of boba teas. <laughs> Everybody loves boba tea, even I feminists. And, I like them. It's know, a weird thing. Patriarchs like alike it. like boba tea. <laughs> uh, so just kind of moving through here on these questions. The next question, again, was from another guest here. Uh, her sweet old Dorothy, I suppose, was another <laughs> viewer. assume old. Well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's a young lady named Dorothy. She might be. I don't know. Let's see the question. So she says, I'd love to hear from a few of these women on how they resist cynicism and bitterness, given the ongoing misogyny that we we women face. It's really hard work, she wrote, exclamation point. So here's the woman talking about misogyny, you know, the men in her church that hate women. Uh, Okay, so... Again, nobody pushes back and goes, hold on, misogyny is a strong term. They just roll with it. Um, so I just wanted to point this out. You know, we saw progressive logic earlier with Kat and Amanda a little bit there, where they're sort of uh, coming in with the belief and then they're finding effects that affirm that belief. This, what she's mm-hmm. doing here, I think, is what you would call in sort of negotiation or exploitation type work mm-hmm. as labeling. So Dorothy may be aware of what she's doing, but I'm sure she probably doesn't. But what she's doing is she's trying to set or like sort of condition the environment in which this question is going to be answered and the way in which it's going to be understood. So um, what I think you should see here with this question is like, you know, she's kind of said like, hey, how do you deal with all this misogyny that you get in your churches? So what you should do and what these other women of God, right, they're supposed to be should do is reframe this question. Yeah. And say like, um, you know, Dorothy, you know, maybe she's speaking about the frustration that we encounter when working with those that hold to more traditional, some may say biblical, you know, roles Mm -hmm. of male headship, you know, but hey, Dorothy wants to know how do we deal with these more traditional um, mindsets that we face in the church. That's a much more compassionate where you're not just going, Hey, all those sexist, you know, bigoted men in your church, how do you deal with those guys? So let's give them the benefit of the doubt and see how they do. Um, it's probably going to be great, right? All these godly women here. So (laughs) right out of the gate, first up is Kate. Oh, Kate. You just want to... And she's eager to jump in. She (laughs) makes that clear. I'm eager to jump in. And she says, first, I want to say that, yes, it is so hard. I'm so thankful that we can be really honest about how hard that is. Okay. Uh, Not what I was expecting there. She's not going to reframe it. She's just going to go ahead and run with that victimhood. Oh, yeah. Um, But then she says, 
She goes, so I try to give myself some grace when that happens. So might just be a slip of the tongue here, but she says whenever someone is difficult with her, she gives herself grace, not the other person. Okay. Um, they always sure. talk about giving themselves grace. Yeah, like you don't give grace to the guy who was difficult. You're just like, grace, grace, <laughs> grace. I don't, very yeah. weird. I don't know why she just, oh yeah, she jumps into um, making a point about the... And how do you say it? Enneagram? Enneagram is what and, I would say. Oh, okay. The two vowels there. Which one do you Um, She says, I don't know if anyone here is into the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram A, and that means that I'm angry a lot. And, you know, and she talks about how she was angry, and that's what fueled her to write her paper. But I don't know a lot about the Enneagram, but just, just a quick research on it. It just makes me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable when I first heard about it. Like, I'm just thinking it's kind of like a horoscope thing. Like you just need something else to define who you are outside of God. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we were talking about, where we kind of like listening to this stuff, because they brought up stuff that we never were aware of. I don't know what an Enneagram is until I heard of this. So, yeah, we went and did a little bit of research, and we'll put links down in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, Equip.org did a really good sort of... Um, deep dive into explaining sort of the history and origins of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. But even on the Gospel Coalition, whatever you feel about them, they did a little breakdown of the Enneagram. And they're not super positive about it. You know, they say evangelicals who favor the Enneagram tend to be younger mm -hmm. and do not know or downplay its history. They consider mm -hmm. it just another personality typology like Myers-Briggs. In contrast, evangelicals who oppose the Enneagram tend to be older, associate the Enneagram with the occult or with Catholic spirituality movement. Mm -hmm. And um, that e uh, equip.org article, again, whenever you talk about any sort of Christian website, some people are like, oh, they're crackpots, but whatever, I don't care. They do a pretty in-depth uh, dive here into it. Um, but they get into the history and really just a quick couple searches on Enneagram and we'd love to hear your guys's take on it. You know what you think about it, but it has, you know, it's origins at least debatable in like the Kabbalist and like Sufi mysticism, um, the occult. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just really weird to be in a casual Christian conference and throw out this thing with a strangely occultist past. And everybody's just like and number eight, huh? crazy and then she goes and says well i'm angry all the time it's like well that's not a fruit of the spirit yeah maybe because you're <laughs> dabbling in the occult <laughs> just an idea i don't know very weird yeah um, i don't know hopefully the other women challenge challenge her on that later on i don't know i doubt it <laughs> um but she does go on because i just want to highlight the mindset here me and you both saw this Ugh. She yeah. goes on sort of the last part of this answer here this for Cat. Castell, yeah. Yeah, she says, I think about Jesus, and his anger wasn't always a bad thing. I was like, uh, <laughs> his anger was never a bad thing. Nothing he ever did was a bad thing. So it's just like, <sighs> what thought process about Jesus do you have other than you think you are like Jesus, or maybe more importantly, Jesus is like you? You know, sometimes you get angry. And that isn't bad because sometimes it leads you to a good outcome. And sometimes it doesn't. 
So that must just be what Jesus is like. And like, <sighs> no, like, and again, to just casually throw it out there, mind you, this isn't just women hanging out. Like you are on a Christian conference for the world to see. And nobody mm-hmm. goes, uh, let me just clear up a little bit. Like Jesus never did anything bad. Just want to make that clear since we're talking to the whole world about Jesus. Nobody says it. They're just like, yeah, I get angry too sometimes. Like, again, we didn't watch it. So maybe there are women like pulling their hair out and like, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But again, to not say anything when someone goes, sometimes Jesus was bad. And you're like, everyone's got their own interpretation. Jesus wasn't always not sinning. It's just yeah. a very weird thing to just casually throw out. And again, you're in a worldwide televised Christian conference. It's one thing if you're just, I get it, you're at work or something and somebody curses, takes the Lord's name in vain, says something, and you're like, now is not the time to get into it. But like, you're at a Christian conference. If now is not the time to get into it. You need to, to be a little it, more cautious about the things you bring up. Yeah. Very your strange. Enneagram, and then tell everybody that your Enneagram is about you being angry. I don't. You probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. But the next question is it? Well, they get it from other women. It's not really Joyce's question, but Joyce chooses them. She picks the ones that, you know. Yeah. Maybe she rephrases them. I don't know. But it's one I guess a lot of women ask. So it says, What advice do you have for women called to ministry later in life? And Nicole's comment she says i'll never forget when i first started i think this was maybe like my third sermon i was still very very fresh and this woman came up to me afterwards i think she was well-intentioned something you can't really tell she says you know i really can't listen to someone who doesn't have blood on their sermon i was like okay what made you say that but the point she was trying to make was i appreciated your exegesis but i need more life experience yeah. yeah. So and I don't think either of us really had we were actually not too down on Nicole after this entire yeah, conference. Yeah, she didn't say a lot of things that And this one I didn't have a huge deal with, but I did think it was worth talking about. Yeah. Um and Nicole didn't heed the advice in any way, but we need far more preachers with experience. We do, especially well, pastors, youth. We brought up the youth pastor thing before. Yeah, because <laughs> that was the point that I took from this. And we kind of had a little talk about what this lady may have meant necessarily. And I think the point was that um, Nicole was like a pastor at this point, a very young pastor. And the lady saying... Well, the lady was there and she knew she was new. So it's just kind of weird to go up and say that. Like, right. I side with Nicole on this. Like, there's nothing wrong. It's like, so what? That's that lady's opinion. It is, sure. And we're all have our own opinions. And my opinion here is, again, Nicole sort of seemed like she understood what she was saying, but she didn't heed that woman's advice, right? She just continued on preaching. Um, And I think the woman has, she could have phrased it better for sure. I wouldn't say I need more blood on my preaching or whatever she said, but I do think we need Mm -hmm. many more preachers that have much greater life experience. You know, I think the young preachers of the world should be very few and far between. But I think the church is just as um, liable and they fall into this trap, just like most of society and business where they want to get younger and, um, you know, 
whatever young people bring to the table, excitement and youth and vigor and they understand technology better. And like, we're trying to get younger to get more hip when Mm -hmm. I don't think it has a whole lot of value. Again, there's the Timothy's of the world, right. That can preach and teach from a very young age. But I, I doubt that there's that many Timothy's in the world that are actually out there preaching that are young. It is, it is rare. I mean, we know our culture and we know the immaturity, um, just of people like people are immature for, um, more years like they don't grow up until later really well and it really puts you in a bad spot i think because when you become a pastor at a young age right the bible's clear about what is required of a pastor um you know you have to be a man of you know well respected in the community Mm -hmm. you know of one wife all these things but when you become a pastor at a young age you are no longer allowed to make those mistakes without really damaging Mm -hmm. your career and calling right if you would give yourself time to make those mistakes and bounce back without calling yourself pastor, then those are just life experiences you've learned from. It's not that you fell in your ministry. You know, I think we talked about this before, but I'll reiterate it here. We went to a Baptist church and we got a new youth pastor and I think he was 21 and they let him come up and preach on a Sunday and he was talking to us. And one of the things that he had said, um, and he, he was a newlywed, I think within like a month or two, he'd been married. And he was talking about how, you know, he was so grateful that God had helped him overcome his pornography addiction. And I remember laughing and like talking to Nikki about it. I was like, dude, ain't overcome a pornography addiction. Like he's a newlywed. He has no reason for it. Like there's men that have pornography addictions into their seventies. You've no way overcome that. You don't need it right now. And that's great. But yeah. the idea that at 21 years old, you think you have the life experience to be like, I know how to help you overcome sexual addiction. I just don't believe it. Again, there may be one or two out there, a few of them. Yeah. But by and large, you got to go through those and you got to know what it's like to hit rock bottom and then hit it again. And then like, how many times has a drunk been like, oh, I hit rock bottom and then they hit it again and again and again and again before they finally drag themselves out of it and God pulls them out. Like you don't do that at 21. And so I agree with this woman here that we need a lot more pastors. You know, James tells us that not many should be preachers, mm-hmm. um, but we got a preacher on every corner and people are leaving the church in droves. Uh, mm-hmm. Our Christianity is watered down and ineffective in most places in this country. And you're like, Something's got to be wrong, right? And maybe it's we got a bunch of 20, 30-year-old pastors with no life experience um, yeah. teaching people. I don't know. I like how she ended her, um, um, well, just talking about that lady. She said, um, well, where am I at here? Sorry. It's right here. Okay. I lost my spot. She says, you could argue that older women accepting that calling, finally embracing it later in life, might even be better off in some ways. And then Paul teaches us in Titus 2, verses 3 and 4, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, 
pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And that's, <laughs> I'm sure these ladies don't like that verse at all. Working at home. <laughs> right. Now, obviously, they like would leaving, push back on that like, and say, well, no, we're called to be pastors and ministers, whatever. Um, okay, but Paul does yeah. teach that, right? That like, yeah, it is good for older women. That's one of the things Paul's instructs is take your life experience and teach that to the younger women. Yeah. Not think you have it all figured out at 23 and then go and teach old yeah. women. It's not the way but I think it does make sense to be a pastor, a shepherd over a church later on, especially after you've trained up your own children. It doesn't give us an age. Like no. age isn't a qualification, but it does have your children in submission. So assuming they're older, they've raised children. Because if you don't know how to care for kids, it's going to be hard to take care of a flock. Like you're taking care of younger people probably that you've, you've never dealt with that because you didn't even raise up your own kids yet. So you will be a better shepherd, wiser, that life well, experience. Right. How can you even know if you, um, if you meet that qualification, if maybe you don't have kids yet or your kids are very young, we don't know if you've trained them up in their Yeah, even for kids. a youth pastor, I think youth pastors need to have had children. Right, well, youth pastor is not a real position. You're right, a pastor. but at least... And a, a pastor should be, even if they put you in charge of the youth, you should be a person that You're meets that qualification. too close to their age. Like, that isn't, that isn't good. But, um, yeah. So, you know, I don't have a big problem with it. And again, I'm not saying that being young means you can't be a pastor, but I do think no. it should be a rare occurrence, not sort of the right. norm. And this isn't about being able to preach the gospel. Anybody, any age can preach the gospel. Yeah, we're all called to do that. Yeah. Um, this is just about like shepherding a church. Like that's your flock. I think you do. Your sermon, a sermon can still be good. You can still teach scripture. Um, but I think it has, in my opinion, more about really caring for the flock. Like anybody, you know, can not anybody, but you can be young and teach yeah. on something in the Bible and have no life experience because it maybe doesn't apply. But well, it's just a general something teaching. like an evangelist or something, there's really no age. But when you're talking about pastor, overseer of a church, yeah, I think you should have much more stringent qualifications. You should be looking for people with, and not to mention that, like, you know, you see someone at 23, 24, it's not for certain that that's necessarily what they want to do their entire life. Like maybe they think there's a better calling later in life. And, you know, so who knows? It, it, I think it just introduces more problems than it fixes. Um, and maybe even pride as well, right? For you to think at 23, I need to be the pastor of this entire church rather than thinking yeah. I should humble myself and sit under instruction until yeah. I'm older, until like, my kids are raised and I know that I've raised them properly and I've done these things and I've actually hit the you know, rock bottom a time or two and I've bounced back. Rather than, you know, I'm 21 and I got it pretty much figured out, right? I've read the Bible once. Like that 60-year-old man in church has got more life experience and read the Bible more. It's just hard to think, like, what do you have to give that older, wise man? But you still need to be humble to say, I could be taught by the people 
in my church. Yeah, I don't know it all. It's a give and take. But I mean, you even never... as a pastor, you should go to the wise men in the church. Say, I am a new pastor, but I still, we still can sharpen each other. A pastor can still be sharpened even by the flock. Yes. And I mean, we've made this point. I pointed this out to the guys in jail just on Monday that, you know, if you look at Stephen, you know, I was pointing out Stephen to them. Stephen was a deacon. He was literally handing out food to widows and he was doing signs and wonders, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom of good repute. He lectured the Pharisees. He condemned them for their errors. And this is the man who's just a deacon in the church. Like that was the qualification to be handing out wafers. So like we should all be striving to that level, but that still doesn't mean that you're called to be an apostle, a pastor. No, you're just called to be really wise in God's word, Mm -hmm. studying to show yourself approved, you know, sort of a thing. So definitely some give and take there. We're not saying one way or the other, being young is a disqualification. Right. right. Certainly not saying that, but um, the last question that I wanted to bring up here, again, there's a lot in this this article. Please go read it. Let us know if there's something else that jumps out to you that we didn't get to. Um, But the last question that I wanted to get here, and I'll just make note because this is from Kat as well. I wouldn't take Kat's advice on anything after reading these last two articles. I don't even know if I would take advice on how to be Latina from Kat, and she's Latina. Uh, just wouldn't take her advice. But they ask her, the question is, what ideas or encouragement would you give single women about their calling? So. What is this great advice that Kat gives them? Um, What is this message that today's Christianity thinks all your daughters should hear? She says, don't discount all the other loves that you have in your life. Don't discount all the other relationships that you have in your life. Just because evangelicalism wants to put marriage above all other relationships doesn't mean that that's how it should be or that's how it is. (laughs) again no correction like that's just plain wrong like you don't have to discount all these other relationships and it's not evangelicalism um, that puts marriage above all other relationships god does yep there is no relationship in this earthly physical body that you have that is higher than your marriage relationship right um and there's married women on this panel and nobody corrects her so she just goes listen, sometimes your friends are the most important people. And if your husband just doesn't understand it, go get advice from somebody else. Like, well, that's what she did. Are you crazy? And nobody corrects them on that. Your marriage relationship is the highest relationship. It's not a relationship. It's unity. It's literally God says to become one. I just don't get it. Um, Again, it's just simply wrong and it's frustrating that none of these women will Mm. correct it. Um, And they'll just let it sort of go. And I think the reason is because in their world, really anything that you can say in the way of positive affirmation or Mm self-affirmation, they'll agree with. They'll find a new angle on scripture to justify it. And then they'll just sing um, that thoughts praises. Oh, you know what? If you got other relationships that are more important to you than your marriage, you go, girl. Yeah, you don't need that, man. Like, <laughs> God loves you. 
Like that's just affirmation Christianity and yeah. it's dangerous and it's terrible to put out there in the world for young women, single women that may be potentially getting married and be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm getting married soon, but like he doesn't have to be my world. He doesn't have to be my everything. Like I got lots of other relationships and my friends and there's other guys that I'm friends with that I can go and seek advice from. That is so dangerous. When it has to do with such a big decision, like, yeah, you do need to seek advice from your husband. Like, I don't know, like everything, especially like finances or career or anything. Like if your husband says, no, don't do that. You submit to him. Like that verse we just mentioned, was it Titus? Five, submit to your husband. I don't think Kat's read Titus. She never mentioned I wonder it. how she interprets it with her new, you know, <laughs> yeah. her new eye, whatever it is. It's just crazy, <laughs> right? So then you're like, okay, well, what's Joyce's great response to this outlandish claim that marriage is just like any other relationship? Joyce's response to the stupidity in that was so good. <laughs> That's a quote. So good. And that's why we have on our board behind us our quote the, or our verse of the day from Matthew 15, 14. This is the epitome of the blind leading the blind, um, aired for the entire world to see. And it's just shameful from today's Christianity. But the blind can only lead blind people. The ones who can see are trying to, you know, wake the blind followers up. I mean, hopefully with the gospel, with the truth, people who are following them will wake up, you know, that's, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying. Um, and again, we recognize we may not have the authoritative take on all of this. We'd like to hear what you guys have to say and if we're off base at all, but man, just, these were just the ones that we pulled out that we thought were worth discussing. Again, there was more in here that we could have talked about. Um, but that's my big takeaway. I don't know if there's a word for this, that affirmation Christianity, if it's just mm-hmm. progressive Christianity or sort of what that's called. But that's my big takeaway is like, you know, and it's more, it's like activism that's sort mm-hmm. of cloaked in Christianity where, man, just tell me what makes you feel good. If you can wrap a Bible verse around it, we'll jump on board with you. But there's no pushback. There's no correction. There's no yeah. sharpening. It's just like, yeah, just say whatever makes you feel good and we'll we'll just get on board with it. And yeah. It's just, it's a shame because people hear this. They're on there just to promote themselves. Oh, they are big That's time. That's one about. of the things you hear. Like almost every one of their responses, they get a question like, well, you know, in my book, I talk about this. And you're like, all right, another shameless plug for your book, for Pete's sake. <laughs> so, I yeah. know. I just feel like, you know, shame on today's Christianity. Yeah. For what I'm thinking, not doing the research, what I would like to assume on these women and, and just allowing them to speak as Bible scholars when they're cl- clearly not, you know, they have their degrees, but we don't agree with where those degrees come from, you know, so we wouldn't say they're a Bible scholar, but the Bible isn't about us. It's about Christ and we cannot use God's word to back up false ideas about our culture, about our identity, and just this victimhood mindset that many women make up. 
Amanda should listen to John Calvin. But the thing that she brought up about Hagar and Sarah, um, that has nothing to do with patriarchy. Like that just bugged me, that whole thing. Was that her that was um Amanda that Maybe brought Amanda, up that? But probably yeah. everything's about patriarchy to her, I would imagine. But it isn't about patriarchy. It's about the whole thing was them not believing God will bring his promise to pass and thinking like God needs our help to hurry it along. This is what happens. Man does things their own way. That had none of that is about it. It's just so weird. So she's just viewing the Bible through a carnal mind, not spiritual. It's just you can read the Bible with a carnal mind, and we know people do because that's how scripture gets twisted. So Yeah, and I mean, even being like not being Bible scholars is fine. I mean, we're not Bible scholars, but you would hope that where you go astray and where you're off the message that people are going to correct you. And that's what I see from this today's Christianity because there are women up there. Kat, she's an outlier. She's really, from what we gather, she wrote a book and like has a podcast. That's about it. But other women on there claim to be pastors, claim to be, um, you know, they've gone to seminaries and they've gotten theology degrees and stuff. So you would assume they have a greater grasp, but to never, um, so it's more of an indictment even on the other women that you allow this stuff to be said and you don't challenge it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we got to challenge each other. We're all liable to read our own thoughts into scripture and, you know, everything like that. And we've got to be open and really hopeful that somebody would point out and be like, I don't think you're reading that right. Like let's, let's read it together. And especially when you're airing it to the whole world. So you mentioned, you know, shame on Christianity today for not doing the research. I disagree. I think they did all the research they needed. <laughs> And that's why they chose these women. Yeah, um, that's probably true. Because <laughs> I think this is clearly the message today's Christianity wants to promote. Um, I think it's what they believe in. You know, they're very, we mentioned progressive. They're big into that sort of racial Christianity. It's all over their website. And now this sort of progressive, uh, progressive like feminist Christianity. So I think in, you know, in my opinion, they got exactly who they wanted. And sadly enough, it was so well received. They did it again, right? So yeah. nice. Let's do it twice. You, I was thinking, like, if these ladies didn't agree with each other on the first, um, the first time around, it was just maybe they would have said no and not done a part two. No, so yeah. So it's like they must not have. No, and all had of their responses on this are like, "Oh, Nicole, like I'm so glad you said it. It's so right on." Like, yeah, just, they did. Yeah, they're really big into each other. So it's just, yeah, it's dangerous, man. Because there's so many times where you think they're off base and you're like, okay, I get it. You got that wrong. Somebody's going to probably correct that. You know, Jesus isn't always bad. And you're like, okay, somebody, anybody, and they just like move along. So very dangerous. But do you have any last thoughts on any of this that we talked about before we move into our sermon of the week? You know, I have a lot more thoughts, but we should end it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Who knows? We may, I don't want to get... We'll see. We'll see what comes up in the world next week. But <laughs> our sermon recommendation, like we mentioned, is from um, Andrew Rappaport's Theology Throwdown. So um, that's him frozen on there. I think Justin Peters was on this episode. Um, a couple other women were on here. A um, couple other folks. So discussing, do babies go to heaven? And it was good. Um, 
if you have that question, I'd encourage you to give it a listen and see if they either uh, agree with where you stand or disagree. And if you disagree with them, Andrew is always open. He makes the claim on almost all of his podcasts that he can answer any question you have about the Bible and God. But he will make the caveat that I don't know is a perfectly legitimate answer. So um, <laughs> ask him whatever you feel. Uh, smart guy. Uh, and I'm sure he'd be happy to engage with you. But that is all we have for you guys today. We'll be back Monday with our devotionals and uh, see what the world throws at us next week. Till then. God bless. World throws at us. 25 years ago, Vega Pro Press disrupted the plumbing industry. Today, we're all about making big construction projects safer and keeping them on schedule. That's why we make Vega fittings in McPherson, Kansas, and ship our press systems out of massive distribution centers in Reno, Nevada, and McDonough, Georgia, to ensure that across the U.S., high rises will always have hot water and steel mills stay up and running 24 7. Vega Pro Press, Mega Press, Pure Flow. The press fittings you need when you need them.